Tell me more, a deep dive on all the random ideas, concepts, people, places, and things that cross our minds. We are prepared to do all the digging for you on the internet and beyond and present like old school research project style. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Julie. And we will be your fact finders for each episode. So get ready. We're going deep. Like page 12 of the Google search deep. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Julie. I'm so excited because we have a special guest with us today. Ooh, who could it be? (laughs) Who could it be? Like, you don't know. All right. So tonight we have with us Casey. Casey is a Kalamazoo, Michigan-based mom, writer, and podcast goddess. She is co-hostess of Sinister, Strange, and Suspicious. She's also contributor at The Basic Moms. She's super sassy, sometimes classy, always a bit badassy, just a half-sane bookworm with a coffee problem who's just trying to raise good humans in a scary world. If you can't tell, she has a way with words that I love personally. Um, So Casey, say hi. Hello. Uh, Thank you for having me, Julie and Chelsea. No problem. Yeah, welcome. So what we're going to be doing tonight is Casey is taking us on a deep dive based on a post that we shared in our Facebook group, Mom Chats by The Basic Moms. Um, I'm sure the whole world at this point probably knows that the book Where the Crawdads Sing is being made into a movie. I believe it's coming out in the end of July. And when it first came out with the trailer... Um, there was like a lot of controversy. And when I first looked into the controversy, it seemed like it had something to do with Taylor Swift and I'm obsessed with Taylor Swift. So I'm of course like, Ooh, what's this about? But really it's just that Taylor Swift did the song, like the score for it. Um, but what the controversy actually has to do with is the author and some wild stuff in her past. And that is what Casey's here to talk to us about. Yeah, so um, I'm always drawn to the more sensational backstories, I think. They're more interesting. I have a love of memoirs and getting to the real grit of a person. So this was a lot of fun for me, and it was very unexpected how um, how well educated this person is with some of the choices that they've made. Like that was kind of an interesting juxtaposition for me. So um, before we get started though, I figured I would like to mention, I did pull from some sources. Um, There was an excellent article called The Hunted that was run in the New Yorker in 2010 um, that was written by Jeffrey Goldberg. And then- um, that would have been before the book came out, right? Oh, way before. Yes. Oh, yep. okay. This is something, so you guys, I don't want to give too much away, but this is a story <laughs> that it spans literal decades. Wow. So, um, buckle up. <laughs> um, the, another source that I used was called the dark history behind the year's best-selling debut novel, um, which was written by Laura Miller and run on slate.com on July 30th of 2019. And I also did pull from Delia Owen's own biography on her website. So if it seems a little skewed one way or the other, that's why. Oh, you mean Um, I think she's great? Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, And some triggers for you are murder, poaching, racism, rape, and child abandonment. Oh, boy. Okay. If, If these themes are not for you, this is not the episode for you. So should I get started? Go for it. We're here. Okay. So according to DeliaOwens.com, Delia is the co-author of three internationally best-selling nonfiction books about her life as a wildlife scientist. Her first novel, Where the Crawdads Sing, was a New York Times bestseller for 135 weeks total and has sold more than 1 million copies. I actually read somewhere today that this is the best-selling new release ever. Like wow. it, it blew a lot of records out of the water. This this novel was huge. 
Yeah, I remember the summer that it came out, I guess was 2019, and like everybody on social media was posting about it. Yeah, it like is insane. Why, like, is there any reason for that? Because it's not like she's this nonfiction author that has, you know, tons and tons of. I don't know what the initial frenzy was about, but I know at some point Reese Witherspoon selected this book Mm -hmm. for her book club, and then she ultimately decided to turn it into a motion picture. So um, I'm guessing that Reese Witherspoon is behind a lot of the hype because, you know, people love her. Right. Um, So who is Delia Owens? Delia was born in Georgia in 1949. She spent her childhood exploring the outdoors and her mom taught her a lot about hiking and not being afraid of nature. She stated on her website that since she was very young, nature had um, been one of her best friends. She said when she was in the sixth grade, she won a writing competition and just knew that she would be a writer. So good for her. Good for her. I didn't know how to wipe myself when I was six. No, <laughs> I was you know, sixth grade. I could totally wipe myself by sixth grade. You know, yeah. I just was more interested in like playing with caterpillars and shit. Like I didn't want to be a writer. Yeah. You know what? My five-year-old just started saying that when he grows up, he wants to be an illustrator. Oh. And I feel like they're like learning to read books and like what makes a book like the person that draws the pictures and writes. So I feel like at that age, like that's something that they talk about in school. So it makes sense to me. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I know that um, I was very surprised to learn that Delia actually boasts some very impressive credentials. Okay. This lady got her bachelor's degree in science and zoology from the University of Georgia. And she also received her PhD from the University of California, Davis. Um, I have a question because I'm noticing Georgia coming up a bit and then California, but where the crawdads sing, doesn't it take place in one of the Carolinas? It does. Yes. Does she have a a Um, Carolina connection? I don't remember one jumping out at me. Um, And some people have said how people who actually live in the place that she's describing in the book, um, they disagree with her representation of what the area is like. And they actually kind of postulate that it actually is more like the Louisiana location where they're filming the movie than where the novel is alleged to take place. So that's actually um, interesting. And I know that we're going to talk about the book more towards the end, but that was one of the things that I had the hardest time getting into was visualizing her description of that area and not like, I don't have much familiarity with the Carolinas. I don't think I've ever been to either, but I kept trying to picture like the coast, like the South Jersey coast, even what like the marshland looks like there. And it just wasn't connecting. I was thinking like sandy beaches and cranes and things like, but like what she was describing was more like, I pictured it more like an Everglade type situation. Like, yeah, like, you know, I guess that's the closest thing I can imagine. I don't, I don't know a lot about Louisiana wildlife or anything, but no, I don't you know. either. I do know that you literally can't walk through in bare feet marshland in South Jersey <laughs> because I've tried before you'll sink in so every time they're like talking about the marsh and her just like walking and running through it I'm like what yeah that yeah yeah I wouldn't want to run around there bare feet Mm -mm. (laughs) um so Delia met her husband Mark when she was completing her undergraduate degree in Georgia um as graduate students they both organized an auction and sold all of their worldly possessions in order to purchase some camping gear and one-way tickets to Africa. So at the time that Delia was 24 and her hubby Mark was 27, um, they started searching high and low for the perfect isolated spot where wildlife would be untouched by humans and had no knowledge or fear of people. Um, In that really great article, The Hunted, that I talked about, um, they 
discussed that the couple set up camp in the Kalahari Desert in Botswana. And there they studied wildlife for several years. They lived a very rough life there in the desert. Do you guys want to hear kind of a little bit of the nitty gritty? Sure. So um, especially at first, they did not have a lot of money and they really had to rough it. Get this. They each rationed seven gallons of water a week per person. Seven gallons. Did that include like boiling rice and stuff? That or that included, was just drinking? That included cooking, bathing, and drinking. Holy cow. Oh, wow. Okay. I probably yeah. need that a day in bathing. Uh at least. Yeah. Yeah. My privileged ass is like always in the water. Right. Um they would only take sponge baths and they would resort to cooling their water in pans so they would pour it in these shallow pans and then set it in the shade so that way it wouldn't be like hot all the time um it would take them several years but they did end up gaining the trust of many groups of lions and hyenas during their stay it was here that they would first learn about the kind of poaching crisis of Africa that was taking place like in the 70s and 80s. Um, and they first started speaking out about that. Um, while they were there, they gained a lot of popularity and funding by writing about the social habits of predators that they were observing. Mark Owens witnessed poachers killing a bunch of wildebeest around this time, and he was shooketh. It ignited a passion and rage in him and Delia for conservation. Like, they were just obsessed, I think, a little bit. Um, they tried to lobby for the protection of animals from government officials, but that didn't really work. So they started resorting to other tactics. It was after they ran a smear campaign against the local cattle industry that the government made them get the fuck out because, you know, money reasons. Apparently, Botswana is a huge beef exporter to Europe, and the Owens were fucking that up. So they had to go. So you, so, were, you were, like, pretty far into this, and I was like, this all seems pretty okay. Like, they're doing their thing. But then, yeah, okay. We're taking a turn. We're taking Buckle up. Okay. <laughs> and keep in mind when I'm talking to you about this, this is a very Reader's Digest abridged version. Like I could have done like a several part podcast on just this, but I just, I don't like Delia Owens. So I didn't want to, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so they, they returned to the U.S. briefly, but just like a toxic ex, they were not over it. They got a bunch of rich white dudes, including then Vice President George H.W. Bush, to harass Botswana in an attempt to change their minds. That did not work. Just spoiler alert, didn't work. <laughs> just for fun. They were like, give us what we want. Yeah, they were just like having a tantrum, like we're spoiled and give us what we want. And they were like, fuck you. We want our beef market, bitches. <laughs> like, we don't so, care about your economy. We want to live there. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Your economy can suck my dick. I want to look at your animals. Right. So they relocated to Zambia in the North Langua National Park in 1986, which I was four years old. So a long time ago um they ultimately settled in a town called Mpika which is kind of in a different province of Zambia where they worked mostly in conservation by the time the 90s rolled around Mark and Delia were would be asked to leave Zambia and never return for fear of prosecution and we're going to get more into that in a little bit they're, uh -oh. they're, techni they're technically wanted okay so, yeah. Um, so they are wanted for questioning in a 1995 murder of an unspecified poacher or two. Um, these particular murders in question were filmed and actually broadcast by ABC News here in the United States 
on a show called Turning Point, which is kind of like a 90, 60 minutes type show. Mm -hmm. Um, Cameras were sent there to film some shots for a segment on their conservation work. Um, I guess I should clarify though, Delia isn't technically a suspect, but multiple witnesses have implicated her son and her stepson. So just to clarify, Um, but she does, they do want to question her very much so. That's um, a lot. It's a so, lot. Yeah. So I'm kind of like still trying to follow. If okay. So in Botswana and then in Zambia, basically like they're there to observe these animals, and these right. poachers and government officials are saying like we don't care about these animals like because X, Y, and Z for our economy. Money. Yeah. Money. Like we care about the money that's coming from all these other things. Like we don't care about yes. the animals. Okay, but let's be clear I don't I want to play devil's advocate for a second but these are very poor governments so you know conservation is sort of like a privileged I I'm cringing when I say it no you're, you're not wrong when you come from a more wealthy economy you have the privilege of being able to care about things like that whereas in a third world country where you have millions of people starving you know it might make yeah no it's true and we kind of we kind of talk about how um how the economy tied in with this and mark and delia do some things to kind of help turn that around but ultimately like the way that they handle themselves kind of shoots them in their own foot kind of thing yeah so and i um, mean regardless of what the government's doing we shouldn't murder poachers, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. And I, I was trying to, like, their their cause or their intention seems like, like they have good intentions and what their ultimate goal is seems good, but I guess it's, like, well. Yeah, I guess I'm just thinking it, it seems like they're bringing their first world country views yeah. to a third world country where they probably don't totally understand the dynamic. Yeah. Okay, so pause on that, though, because okay. we're going to we're going to get more into the things that they do. And they actually do have a positive effect on the local economy. um, For tourists? No, for the local villagers. They understood understood the relationship between poaching and the lack of money. Mm -hmm. And they knew that they were never going to be able to get these local villagers to stop supporting the poachers if they didn't have their own income. So Mm -hmm. they... um, I'll, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> so Getting another quick, like totally, uh, maybe like an ignorant question, but um, is the, like the role of the poacher to kill the animal and then they take the animal and like sell the meat of the animal? Like what do the poachers so, do with the animal? In this story, the they sometimes it was meat, sometimes it was fur, um, but they talk a lot about the elephants and their tusks in okay. this particular area. So it, you know, there's a lot of different types of poaching that occurred and we're mostly talking about elephants, but okay. I do believe that they cared about all of it. It just, this particular story focused on the elephants because that's what they happen to be protecting when the murder happened. I think. Okay. Gotcha. So, um, Mark initially referred to the national park that they ended up in as the place where civilization ends. This was an underdeveloped, unguarded, and mostly untouched by people national park with like a gazillion acres. Like it's so massive. Um, Basically it was Mark and Delia's wet dream until it wasn't. So they were not there long when they came across some signs of poaching in the form of hundreds of animal carcasses strewn all over this field. Like, Mm. you know, that scene in the Lion King with all the rotting bodies is like, that's kind of what they described. Um, So Mark and Delia decided that it was pretty obvious that the poachers were very prevalent in this area and they knew they couldn't avoid them but they refused to ignore what was happening to the animals that they loved. They also decided they would not be leaving the area that they loved. Fuck that. They decided to take it upon themselves to do something about it, no matter what it would take. So the 80s and 90s were a terrible time to be an elephant in Africa. 
the demand for ivory would lead to a drastic reduction in the elephant population. Um, in that New Yorker article that I've mentioned a couple of times, I learned that in 1979, there were 300,000 elephants in Africa, but by 1989, there was closer to 150,000. That's half. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's how, that's how bad this problem was. Okay. So in response to this, many African countries authorized shoe on-site policies in regard to poachers. Now, despite that fact, some, um, some countries also were very, very against it. And it is important to note that Zambia did not endorse this policy. There was no law on the books that said that this was okay. So um, <clears throat> the value of ivory skyrocketed and there was a massive influx of poachers. Some of these operations were unbelievably huge and they would employ a massive amount of people. There would be truck beds full of tusks coming out of the park every day. Oh. Ivory sold for about $1,000 a pound. Whoa. It was a very lucrative business. Yeah. So when the Owens set up camp, there were minimal patrols in the area. The police over there in this area are referred to as game scouts. And they were present, but they were very overworked. They were underpaid, they were not trained, they did not have any kind of firearms, and they were not at all motivated to do anything. They had little to no support from their government, they did not receive regular paychecks for their work, so they just kind of like looked the other way, and a lot of times the poachers would take advantage of that and grease their palms to look the other way. Mm. So, you know, government's not paying me, so I guess I'll earn an income somehow, you know? So where the Owens set up camp, there were minimal patrols. Um, the Game Scouts that were present were overworked, underpaid, and do anything. They had little to no support from the government. The Owens decided that they would have to help the locals find economic resources in order to get them to quit poaching. So they eventually would raise money in the U.S. and they helped to build up the local community. They helped to build grinding mills, fish ponds, and sunflower oil presses. And they worked really hard to uplift the local community in an effort to combat these poachers. Um, they knew that if locals could support themselves, that they would not have to. That the poachers were all very well armed and scary as fuck. So, Mark became obsessed with eradicating poaching. Like he kind of viewed himself as a Batman Avenger of the like desert kind of guy. Like it was very, like he took this very personally, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> he ultimately takes it upon himself to declare himself the boss of the scouts. Huh. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah. Um, and they just send weapons and clothes and food and they're like, do it. And we're like, you guys are dropping the ball. We're doing this. Give us the authority to boss them around. So pretty quickly, Delia and Mark were named honorary game rangers by local. officials and that gave their day-to-day -day activities like it it's crazy um so they Delia, the, Casey huh? they didn't like own any land or anything like they didn't have no. like, a home or anything there that they built and had like none of this land was theirs right it was not their land but they did build some facilities like for their studies and things like a lab and little mini like I don't think that they were, I think it was very rustic, but they did have some kind of a base camp, I guess. Okay. Okay. That they maintained. Yeah, because um, it's like government property, right? It's like yeah, national yep. parks and. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Yeah. So 
while Mark is like super obsessed and throwing himself into this like 24 seven, Delia is like, I don't want to get involved in the politics of this. Like it's stupid, but eventually she just went along with it because you know, the man was always right back then, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, when 1991 rolled around, there were 12 elephant deaths in the park. Now, when they started, there were about a thousand elephant deaths in that park. So, oh, so they're doing well. They were, they were doing an amazing job. Like okay. their, so the social programs were seemingly working. They invested in local healthcare. They helped provide industries. And yet, despite all of these amazing things that they did, Mark was not satisfied at all. He wanted to keep upping the ante again. I cannot stress how be obsessed that he became. Like, imagine. Okay, so for instance, I read a story about him ambushing a bunch of poachers and using a specially rigged rifle to shoot cherry bombs at them to terrify them and convince them that they were being bombed. Like, he was kind of psycho. Like, he, he would be like, like full Rambo. Yeah, and mind you, he's in one of those like crop duster airplanes while he's swooping super low toward their campsites to do that not great the forest not great for anything or anyone involved right right um it ended up occupying enough of his time that delia was fed up she actually moved to a different camp for a while but ultimately they reconciled so this brings us to 1994 ABC's Turning Point reaches out to them about participating in a documentary. Um, have you ladies heard of a woman named Meredith Vieira? Yeah. Yes. She used to be on The View, right? And yes. Yeah. So they sent her ass all the way to Africa in 1994 <laughs> to interview Mark and Delia Owens for the Turning Point program. This episode aired on March 30th of 1996 and was called The Deadly Game, The Mark and Delia Owens Story. So during the time that she was there, Meredith followed some of the game scouts out on a patrol and they happened upon a campsite of some poachers and kind of were waiting around to see if they could bust them. Um, Eventually the poachers returned and the scouts shot not one but two of them on camera. And then as you're watching the video, Meredith does this voiceover telling viewers about how they would just leave the bodies where they lie so the animals could take care of them. That's wild. They aired this on television. They aired this on prime time television in the United States. Was it like blurred? No. Were you able to see it? Yeah. You can actually go on YouTube and find the footage that they showed. Wow. Like... Meredith Beer, what's her like reaction? Like you're there, like, like you're a person and this is happening, you're a different country. That's wild. With the, the, the version that I saw, I think it was heavily edited because you don't hear her reaction. You just hear her voiceover saying that they would leave the body lay where they were. Like wow. casual as pie. Like, oh my God. Um so this documentary really pissed off the Zambian government because it made it look like they did not care that the scouts were blatantly murdering poachers. So this is, what's the part in the hero's journey where it comes crashing down? <laughs> that happened? Is that a thing? Because it happens here. Um, the government launched a homicide investigation and ended up seizing control of the Owens operation. They took control of all of their equipment, all of the businesses, everything. And this would ultimately cause an economic crash to the people who were depending on the owns for their livelihood, um, which I guess was uh, an unintended consequence that they did not think about before they started behaving this way, you know? Yeah. Um, So Mark and Delia ended up leaving the country pretty quickly after they were um advised to leave and not return until the investigation was resolved um turns out that this investigation is still considered active and ongoing um 
the government has reached out and requested that they come back for questioning and they won't so it's kind of just like at a standstill like it's a stalemate situation um mark and his son are still considered prime suspects and the authorities would really love to talk with all three of them but i don't foresee that happening anytime soon so does the video that aired on turning point it shows game scouts not mark or the son i think mark and the son are present i don't remember i might have been a little, little bit high when i watched it <laughs> um but they were they were definitely there with the scouts but i don't remember if they are seen on camera okay in the video that was released like i think that there is significant proof tying them to the scene of the crime but i don't know that 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 footage was aired or not I'm not, I'm not clear. Interesting. So I you still can't get over that it aired on like ABC. Yeah. Primetime, ABC, yeah, yeah. But like on the radio today, you know that ABC, the EFU song that's really, yeah, really that's popular good. right now. Um, here in the mornings, they blur out FU. Right, but they'll show a full on murder. <laughs> they show a murder on national television on wild so casey what how do you feel about delia because it does seem kind of it does seem like she did good for the area but also like you know they so didn't really think delia about is, what their influence would mean so delia is problematic because she did do a lot of really good things for these communities but she also has openly spoken out about how there should be population control in africa yes. and i was going to bring that up because i remember there, reading that too yeah and there's been a lot of controversy about her being low-key racist well and <laughs> we're gonna talk about this in the book a little bit about how there's some themes there that are i don't know i just i don't think she's a person that i would hang out with ever I, don't, I, don't, I think that she is an a person of a certain age who is set in her ways mm -hmm. and who thinks that they are way more awesome than they really are well I would say calling for population control in Africa is high key racist I mean you know but in the book it's yeah it's not as overt I guess she's doing it under the guise of describing how a time a period of time was but mm -hmm. it really was not necessary for the book and the story and right it just it seemed kind of like she was like bragging about that's the kind of stuff that would happen i don't know i it didn't come <laughs> off to me as trying to highlight the problem as much as like she liked it <laughs> <laughs> um okay so are we moving to the book now yeah, whenever you're ready. Yes, I, um, that is, that is your the deal. Yeah. Yeah. That was the gist. Yeah. I think for me, the craziest part is that it aired on television on prime time. I know. I cannot believe it. And like, I can't believe that knowing how dependent these people are on you and you claim you care so much, how are you going to risk them losing all of that? Like, that to me i don't care all the good that you did up to that point it does not fucking matter because you ended up leaving them in a worse place than they were when you started you know right like you've accustomed them to this better lifestyle and having a steady income and having steady food and being safe you know and then all that is ripped out from under them in an instant it's just sad right and they had a safe place to retreat to absolutely and now it's it makes me kind of think like if the game scouts weren't like didn't act like that under normal circumstances they weren't shooting poachers before but then they're on camera and like the news are news you know abc news yeah. is recording this and mark owens is there and he's you know obviously got some type of complex <laughs> and it's like does he like do they go off and start shooting these poachers to like make some kind of statement, you know, and like we're not letting them get away with this here, like, you know? And then I think maybe, I think in some kind of way in his mind, I think that's kind of how he was justifying it. Like we will protect these animals at all costs. Like yeah. we are, I think he just 
elevated himself in his own mind to like a god status yeah you know yeah it sounds like it it's like i think that you forget when you become the law so to speak like you can't be the judge jury and executioner that's not how that works yeah and i think there's there's checks and balances for a reason yeah and i think it just went to his head and he thought you know what this is a problem i'm gonna fix you know and he didn't care how he did it Casey, I've got a quick question. I think I know the answer, but you've probably looked into it more recently. Um, mm-hmm. Mark and Delia, are they still together? They are not. Okay. Um, I do not think that they ever officially divorced, but they are not together. Um, I could be wrong. So. I think you're right. I think they're not together. That's what I thought. They're definitely not together, but I don't know for sure about the divorce piece. Gotcha. Um, they may or may not be divorced (laughs) they are definitely not living together and actively in a relationship well good that's good because it seems like they were that type of relationship that's like they they push each other to extremes yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know sometimes you can be good people and then when you get together it's like a combustion happens that's never good you know all right so let's talk about the book let's do a quick like little go around the room <laughs> and say if you okay. liked the book or not because I I think I know Casey's take I don't know Chelsea's so do you want me to go yeah yeah like the yep. book? um I did like the book I did not know the backstory of her when I I listened to the audiobook um I did too. years ago now yeah so I did like it but I had no idea the like her background. Okay. So I read the book and I do wonder if I had listened to it, if I would have liked it better. Um, but I, I struggled real hard to get into it. The beginning is so boring. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, as I mentioned earlier, like I couldn't even conjure an image of what she was talking about in my head because it was like so foreign to me. It felt like but shouldn't because it's like, it was just the the language was very bizarre to me. And then once they did get into like the actual murder mystery aspect of it, which I expected to get into, there were so many plot holes and like unnecessary things that I was just kind of like, what? Like, I don't (laughs) Casey, what's your quick? And then we'll, we'll go into more specifics, but. Um, hated it. (laughs) <laughs> I listened to it I listened to it in two days um I so I'm a, a home hospice aide um during the day and I drive a lot for work and so I I knocked it out in two days and it was the worst two days of my life <laughs> I like kept pushing through because I wanted it to get good oh is this all notes <laughs> no it's so why I hated it so much <laughs> that's a Short lot hand. of pages of why you hate so much. I remember Short the hand. beginning being slow and then towards the end I was like I just need to know what happens and like that's what kept me going through the, like I guess like the second half of it yeah I oh my gosh and I I read this probably like two to three months ago now I completely forgot all of the problematic um like she's 14 with like a nine oh, don't worry I didn't Okay. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Oh. Aside from like plot holes. Yeah. The like statutory rape of it is like not great. It does appear that in the movie, they're going to bump her age up a bit. And I don't know why they couldn't like, there's no reason in the book why when she started having the relationship with, I think, I don't that- even remember the guy's name now. I think it was a deliberate choice by the author. Which is gross then. That's gross. Like she could have easily been 16 and he could have been 18, which is a normal. Well, and even if that. she was though, you have to remember like in the book, she really went hard with Kaya is immature for her age and Kaya is not as advanced as the other kids. And she mm-hmm. has this childlike right. way of looking at the world. And so like, to me, like, saying all of that and making her age be so young that was a very deliberate thing yeah and I think 
a lot of people like to talk about how she was trying to highlight domestic abuse and things like that but to me it felt like more of putting shocking things in the story to sell books yeah and I also felt like I don't feel like she was trying to make that look bad it was Tate right no guys name we're talking about here the first one um there was Tate and Chase and both kind of victimized her to some degree or another right well but I feel like they glorified the relationship with Tate and he was the one that was actually the statutory rapist right wait well it's been a while I completely forget the rape part well no he just had statutory rape rape. can be technically consensual but she's too young no the second guy flat out raped her oh yes cheese but cheese I remember that I didn't remember teeth Tate attempted, but then backed off and then gaslit her and made her feel bad. Yeah. Okay. So, but there was a lot of grooming behavior that was highlighted mm-hmm. in the book and it just was, it didn't, it didn't come off as highlighting the issues so much as just being yucky. Yeah. It did feel very gross. I also, how you said that they made her or she wrote her to be naive and immature for her age and then the most major plot hole for me is I think it's obvious that we're gonna have spoilers about the book so I'm just throwing in an end of the book spoiler alert right here you mean like how she could read biology books (laughs) not even just read biology books but the Mm -hmm. the major plot hole of that she went to a city she'd never been to before disguised herself twice oh um pulled oh, yeah. off a premeditated murder yes but we have a lot more plot holes to get to before we can get to that one. <laughs> I mean aside from the fact that they even said like in the trial that it wasn't physically possible time-wise to do it we're supposed to believe that this person who has no experience outside has never actually seen these things right like for that to actually happen you would have to do that bus ride like multiple times and that she could adapt very quickly, but like in other situations, she's in town and can't adapt quickly. But there's one right. time, there's one right. time she can, and she it's does fine. it. It's fine. Strangers are fine. My my social anxiety that's crippling is gone. Right. I'm gonna... Yeah. No. Guys, maybe this is her first nonfiction book. <laughs> <laughs> well, Give her a break. <laughs> I feel like perhaps her writing skills did not develop much past when she won that contest (laughs) like this felt very much like it should have been like a first draft Mm. that the editors should have been like what the fuck there's major plot holes unnecessary let's cut this bullshit out and then the story that was actually interesting that you spent like one chapter on can we maybe expound on that and make it a little more plausible you know because there are things they could have done to make it believable and their big reveal was stupid of course she was the murderer wait well i was gonna say the big reveal that she's the poet too that was i was like wait she has two hidden talents (laughs) so she writes biology books but she's also a secret poet and she's also been quoting her own poems like that's not weird And it's so funny, the second, the first time one of the poems popped up in the book, I'm like, I've never heard of this poet. And immediately was like, oh, it's her. But like, it was such a like non thing for me, like in the story that didn't even matter that when the reveal happened, I was like, we didn't need that. No, it's not necessary. There were plenty of other ways that they could have revealed it was her. And it's also odd that like, just the entire idea that she was doing these two things mm-hmm. at the same time the science books or the biology books and the poetry and like one was known and one was a secret and it's like you yeah. why it seems like an afterthought like oh, mm-hmm. we'll make her the poet too you know and then they like um or even even more of an afterthought to that as in like oh i got all the way to the end of the book I have to figure out a way to reveal it. Let's make her a poet. And then they went in and plopped the poem yeah, in. Yeah, because they didn't even fit where they were. No, they weren't cohesive at all. And they like didn't add anything to the plot. 
Like no. it, it didn't enhance anything. It just was kind of there for no reason. Yeah. I could think of a lot of more interesting things to include in this book than that, but you know. Yeah. I thought she was just going to flat out tell Tate on her deathbed, to be honest. Yeah, I uh, I think her death was underwhelming. Yes. You know, and the reveal of her as the murder was like super underwhelming because it's like, well, no shit. Who else would it have been? Right. You know? Well, I thought there, there was a point where I thought it could have been Tate because the fibers were from the hat that was his, which is also a whole other plot hole because in the whole trial, they're pinning it on her because of the fibers from the hat that we all know is Tate's hat. Right. So it was like, why, like her defense attorney isn't going to mention it's not her hat. Cause like, I think that'd be a pretty good, like defense element here. It's terrible. This. So the first thing that I wrote on my notes, this plot is stupid. <laughs> it. I feel like there are three different books in one with this book. Mm-hmm. I because, think you know, the story of Kaya and her mom, that could be a story with the leaving and the growing up in the wilderness in a completely unrealistic fashion. Mm-hmm. Like you have the older, more mature men victimizing this person who is perceived as like the angelic, innocent archetype, you mm-hmm. know? And then we have like all of the other bullshit that with the murder that was just stupid. Yeah, stupid. and like tagged on at the end. Mm-hmm. it was seriously like she was like oh i need a little something yeah oh, we'll murder a guy we'll murder a guy <laughs> we'll murder a guy i feel like the movie is going to focus far more on the murder like i think it's going to be a murder movie if like they, trial if, if they're smart they will yeah they will and if they're smart they'll get a really good screenwriter to adapt this thing and make some shit up to make it less like unlikely yeah now i'm like a person where like if the movie's different than the book i get really angry but i think i would be okay if they took some liberties yeah i don't think you could do a four-hour movie chelsea where the first three (laughs) hours are just her on the beach and the marsh but i'm sure it would be like a (laughs) a two-minute like flashback in the beginning for five minutes and be done with it yeah i don't i don't need two hours of that bullshit Mm -hmm. yeah if this movie is two and a half hours i will not watch it it's good if there's a runtime up yet i'm gonna i'll be checking that right now i feel like not a lot of movies are under two hours anymore it's true like every movie that i've gone to see in the last two months which is a lot because my boyfriend is obsessed with going to the movies all of them are like two two and a half hours and yeah. they've yeah. been terrible and what is the deal with society now thinking that we cannot have villains that's a thing the disney movies and pixar no longer have villains like okay i just i saw dr strange and it just it was a terrible movie. If you want to do an episode about why I hated that, you let me know. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I got opinions. It's a new Marvel movie with um, oh. Doctor Strange. And it just was, there's a character in it. I don't know. Did you watch WandaVision? Yes, I did watch that. You'll have so, to your girl for that. Yeah. Oh gosh. WandaVision was probably the best Marvel miniseries so far. And Elizabeth Olsen plays Wanda and she is like my girl crush I don't know she nails it so yeah. hard and so she is in this movie as Wanda and in the movie she becomes the Scarlet Witch which is her like evil alter ego huh. so mm-hmm. and she is good like she does it so well but then there's this trend in Hollywood with redeeming the villain and I hate it like let them be bitches you know <laughs> you can just be bad Yes, let them be bad. That's, that's all I need. Well, I need more personality. It's gonna be bad. Mm-hmm. I need I need more of the bad. You know, like leave it bad. Like, like you know, the Little Mermaid. Ursula gave me no shits. Right. 
there was no soul in there Mm -mm. she didn't have a redemption arc yeah i don't need all that bullshit that's that's not real life you know (laughs) some people just suck yeah it's true and circling that back to delia (laughs) owens some people just suck (laughs) i don't think we get redemption here i don't no and that's what sparked my interest about this whole thing was that one of the articles that i saw thought that the book was an entire allegory with like the secret murder for the murder that took place in was it it wasn't botswana it was the second place they lived right yeah 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 zambia yeah oh interesting i don't like that she was revealing or like admitting to wrong i didn't thing. I think that might be gross. I didn't catch that vibe. But that again, she's too much great. of a stretch. She's not that great of a writer, so I don't know. I don't I don't see that being a thing that she intentionally did. I could see if the actual murderer was Tate. And then yeah. like her being like, it was him. He did it. You know what I mean? Like unless, that. She's, unless she's trying to say like no I really don't think she's that well here's another thing though if just because that one particular murder of a poacher was caught on tape it doesn't mean that they weren't murdering other poachers well they definitely mean that she has not murdered a poacher that's true and it's not a disputed it's it's not disputed anywhere that they didn't kill other people you know they don't go out and confirm it but they do not specifically say oh this never happened before right huh so where is she now she's back in the states i think oh where did they say she lives utah or something dumb like that she's not a mormon now is she (laughs) Uh, i don't know she literally all of the bio was kind of like true to the form of her novel where there were all these pretty words that didn't say a whole lot oh yeah the whole first two-thirds of the book yeah that's kind of how her bio was like oh cool did anyone else have a real disconnect between the visuals describing the place and then what it looked like in the trailer yeah it um I feel like they took a lot of liberties and I feel like they very stylized it yeah and I didn't expect that okay so I just I expected it to look more like she was on a sandy beach and then in the movie it seems like she's on like creeks yeah I feel like because they talk a lot about the ocean and stuff there are creeks and stuff too but like they the ocean played a significant part right like yeah she spent a lot of time on the beaches and she would wait for her menfolk there and you know like she fed the birds a lot like i don't know yeah yeah i feel like they made her look a lot more put together too yeah because in the book they talk about how she's like wearing ill-fitting clothing and yeah she never washes herself so like yeah i'm like this girl's got like curled hair and like yeah i mean i I pictured more of like a nell situation you guys remember that movie exactly yes like more plain and and that's what it realistically would have been if someone was you know raised themselves in isolation yeah i was thinking like like, from stranger things like the girl (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah I just can't imagine like okay if your family left you at how old was she again like five or something five or six right if your family leaves you and you are left alone in the forest for like a fucking decade yeah you're not going to communicate normally you're not going to be talking to these people you're not going to be learning how to read miraculously in two weeks with some cute boy Mm -mm. like but you are going to be able to navigate the entire busing system of a mid-sized city uh, and then murder someone and clean up all your tracks yeah and write college textbooks it's a stretch other than that totally believable yeah everything in this 100% could have happened (laughs) not at all 
my gosh. I mean, except the guys being pervs, that could really happen. That's yeah, actually, weird. that was the, the only believable. And, you know, it's about it. Yeah. All right. So do we have any final thoughts? Anyone going to see the movie? Um, I don't feel really inclined. Like, if I make it to visit you someday and you force me to, I might watch it. <laughs> I will absolutely be watching it because I need to know what they do with it. Yeah, that is a good point. Okay, I'll wait to hear what you think about okay. it and then I'll proceed. <laughs> um, I, I am disappointed that T-Swift is affiliated, like... Well, I mean, she said she loved the book and that's why she reached out to to do the song. Like they didn't come to her, which is, yeah, I I am still very much confused by people that like loved this book. It blows my mind. Like one of my good friends who is very like feminist and like a liberal person and like, not to say it's a bad thing but a part of that cancel culture mentality and she's like this book was amazing and I was like was it read the same book yeah like and I then- feel like I could see saying like art like I was mildly entertained in a like garbage way I won't even give it that to be honest I was annoyed most of the time listening to it <laughs> because I get I don't know sometimes I'm I'm an empath or something and I get like these like unintended feelings or emotions like like I can kind of read into it and I just don't love Delia's energy at all Mm. and it kind of tainted the book for me because I had done the deep dive then I listened to the book I wonder if it would have been different the other way around at all I wondered too but full disclosure I did the deep dive and hated her and then I listened to the book and I was like oh my god this bitch loves herself too much for me and she thinks she's a way better writer than she is well that's yeah the whole beginning I'd say like at least the first third I was like Mm -hmm. man she really loves the way she writes I don't but she really loves the way she writes do you know what it reminds me of it's when you go into eighth grade honors English and they're like okay guys we're gonna like work on your descriptive passages and we're going to use like all the adjectives you can in one sentence and like you know you yeah. know what I mean like it's like Too like my much. eight-year-old would it's be like indulgent yeah and it's just like oh god we didn't need six sentences for you to say the ball was red <laughs> I think I have right. a worse a worse book <gasps> what is it is it Jamie Lynn Spears's memoir no it's oh my god I really do want to add that my friend Anna. Oh, also, oh, is that the Anna Delby? Yeah. All the ad that Rachel, Rachel. Rachel wrote. Oh my gosh. So many details. I'm like, who remembers this many details? Could and we like do another book in a month? Oh my God. <laughs> it was like. We might need to. Horrible. You should read it. We both read it. And I really need to read the Jamie Lynn Spears one, but I want to wait to do that. Um, because I just heard that Britney Spears signed a like $15 million deal yeah. to write her life story. So I kind of want to do like, wait till that comes out, read it, and then read Jamie Lynn's version and see like- You will be dumber for having read Jamie Lynn Spears' memoir. <laughs> and dumber for thinking about it. Yes. You should, well, you should do the trifecta and do Lynn Spears' right. book, then okay. Jamie's, then Britney's. <laughs> yeah. And do it, yeah, you got to do a chronological order. We're doing it. <laughs> I'm lumping uh, you in with me. We're doing it. I think I it. will watch the movie, but I will not go to the theater to watch it. Like I'll you're going to protest paying for it. Well, yeah. you know what? If it showed up, if it showed up on my boyfriend's Plex and I could watch it for free, and she wouldn't get any money from it, I'd be like, yeah. I'd watch it like on a streaming service. Yeah. Like if it comes on Netflix or HBO Max or something. Yeah. I'm not like paying for it directly though. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I will watch it probably the night it comes out. <laughs> In the theater? Well, won't it? Aren't it? I can like pay $20 at home, can I? We don't even have a theater anymore. Our movie theater shut down. <laughs> I'd have um, to drive over 45 minutes to go to a movie theater. 
We have two theaters in town now, but they're like super expensive. So I drive 20 minutes away to this tiny town because the movie theater tickets are like $6. (laughs) Well, that's worth it. And Um, then you can get like all the snacks and stuff for less than 20 bucks. Nice. That's a good deal. Yeah. Uh, I have a bit of a different perspective though. Like for the book and the movie, like I like books that make you keep guessing about like how it would act. Yeah, so and that, this didn't really. That No, for me, it did. I just oh. I kept thinking it was her, but then it kept saying it wasn't her, and then it was. Oh, so yeah, she do questioning it. Right, Thank well, you guys, guys for having me. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming on, Casey. It's been great. It was so fun. Well, that's it for this episode. Do you have something you want us to do a deep dive on? Send us an email with a topic to thebasicmomsmedia at gmail.com. And be sure to come hang out with us on Facebook and Instagram at the.basic.moms. If you want to dive deeper into any of the topics we present here on Tell Me More, join our Facebook group, Mom Chat by The Basic Moms. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast and subscribe so you know when each episode is released.